0: You are listening to the Sermon Podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. I asked if I could be in the center. I feel like I'm over there, so I wanted to share equally with you guys today. So, hi, my name is Jeff Rickett. I am your new interim um, pastor for a time, and so I appreciate prayers for us as we journey together in this time together. Um, and I would love, there's a reception us for us, so I would love for, for me, for Val and I to get to know you better, so come and introduce yourself to me so I know names better and who goes with who, and so I don't want to embarrass myself thinking this woman goes with this man or, you know, <laughs> I've done that already, so I want to stop doing that. And, um, and so I don't want to get in trouble anymore. So, um, so it's good to be here. We're excited to, to journey with you in this season of time. Uh, I'm going to continue my series in First John, uh, and the title of the series is called "Fellowship with God and Fellowship with One Another." The centerpiece is love. I had Andy uh, come up with this creative graphic, and he didn't know that I was the centerpiece part of love. And he ha- he developed that heart, and I like that heart. It shows the complexity of our inner hearts and how this is fleshed out in our faith relationship with Christ. But again, we are starting this journey in 1 John. We're going to continue the journey in 1 John. Um, in the past, we have looked at the radical love of God, ultimately seen seen in Jesus and his work. Uh, we were reminded by John, if we believe in Jesus and his work, then we are forgiven, cleansed, accepted, uh, declared right before him, and now we're able not to sin. We know, as Steve said, we still have that sinful nature that raises its ugly head, but because of christ and his work and as we believe in his work and put our faith there we now are able not to sin please god Uh, jesus has provided all that we need to live as children of god john reminds us to to be his followers john also in this text is adamant about this because there are folks in the church who were sharing and teaching destructive uh, things and their lives were not reflecting uh, the message of jesus at all John is also adamant in this this passage, in this letter, that believers not let sin rule the day, but to live a life that honors God. Now let's remember, Apostle John is an older pastor, close to death, and here in his passage, John is their pastor, their loving pastor, their father of the faith, who encourages them and ensures them, the church, on how to know that they know God. And he communicated very early on in the chapter, first chapter 1, that the first and foremost way that we know God is believing in Jesus and his message. For he knew that that will make a difference then in how we live out our life. See, right belief about Jesus matters. And in this passage, John gives us two additional tests that confirm and affirm that we know God. It's a moral test and a social test. So how do we know that we are followers of Jesus? This passage will help us discover that. So turn your attention to 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 3 through verse 11. This is the word of the Lord. By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says I know Him but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word In him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness It does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. O oh, Father, as we gather this morning together, and as we uncover what, we want you, what you want us to learn from here, we pray that the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you, O God, who is our rock, who is our foundation, who is the lover of our soul. Thank you, Lord, for this time together we have now. In Jesus' name, amen. As many of you know, many high schools, college, and universities have honor societies. It usually works in this way. You're invited to an honor society, if you have consistently earned high grades on your subject matter or in your major or in your overall classes. So to be a member of an honor society, it acknowledges that you have worked hard, that you have excelled in academics, that you diligently studied the subjects, you got to know them, you spent much time and sacrifice understanding the details of your classes. Nick was invited to a prestigious honor society at Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. He was so proud of himself that now he has this new status at being at this prestigious school, at this prestigious honor society. One problem, Nick attained his high grades through cheating, plagiarizing, cutting corners, and lying. It didn't matter to him now because now he's arrived. He's made it. He's achieved something that many people have never achieved, being at this honor, prestigious honor society at Harvard. But now he has to keep up the lie. So he continues to cheat and plagiarize and lie because he doesn't know any different way to get good grades and to keep his status. So he believes the lie that he's in good standing. He's a good standing member of the honor society. Now, for the Christian, the story breaks down at the point of being invited to something honorable by our performance. We are invited to, to the, and accepted into the family of God, not of anything that we have done, not anything that we have accomplished, but solely of what Jesus has accomplished for us in his life and his work. But if we're honest, many people, and as we wrestle with this all together, who say that they are Christians will say, well, I, I'm a good member i'm a a good member i'm a good member of a church i go every sunday but as they leave this sunday they will live their life so differently they'll live like jesus is not even a part of their lives that they'll speak differently they'll act differently It's as if they are living a lie as well and this message may be hard for some of us to hear but john is very clear if we claim to know god then not only believing in jesus and his message assures us that we know God, but also what, what gives us proofs that we know God is this moral test and this social test. I love what Bono from U2 reminds us. It's impossible to meet with God with sunglasses on. It is impossible to meet God without abandon, without exposing yourself, without being raw. So my prayer is that as we enter together in this passage, that we would take our sunglasses off by God's grace and that we would honestly look at this passage and say, okay, where do I need to grow in my relationship with God? What are those things that God needs to change me so that I reflect more of what John is trying to communicate in this passage? So yeah, we have a belief test, but we also, as I said, we have a moral test and a social test. And again, the Apostle John clearly states we have fellowship with God only through a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. Believing in Jesus and in, mes- in, in, in his message is where we start and is where we end. But as we believe this great truth, that we've been given this great relationship, now God intends to flesh out the, his design for us in these two other tests. So let's first look again at the moral test. Let's look at verses 3 through 6, and I'll read them again. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Again, John assumes that they are believers that he is writing to. But he also knows that there are some in the church who may not know God. See, John had a passion for people to experience the living Christ as he experienced the living Christ. So he's passionate about them knowing God and, and being in a relationship with God. In fact, th- John's term here to know him is, is he's communinating to have a growing intimate relationship with God. I like how Charles Spurgeon describes it. Listen carefully as I I read this section. He says this. To know Christ is very much the same as to know any other person. When you know a man or a woman, he or she is your intimate friend. You trust them. You love them. You esteem them. You are on speaking terms with them. You not only bow in the street, but you go to their house. You sit down with them at the table. At other times, you hold counsel with them, or you ask his assistance. And he comes to your house and you hold familiar association, one with the other. There's a good understanding between you and the person of whom it may be truly said that you know him. Then he writes, on such terms must the soul be with Christ. He must not be merely a historic personage of whom we read in the pages of Scripture, but he must be a real person with whom we can speak in spirit, commune in heart, and be united in the bonds of love we must know him, his very person, so as to love and to trust him as a real Lord to us. So if we know Jesus, if we know God, God, then John gives us some tests to assure that we do know God. And the first test is the belief in the person and work of Jesus Christ, but the second test or check is to determine if we know God, is the moral test. And John explains it in two ways. The first way is Keeping God's word in verses 3 and 5. It is good to keep God's word. It is good to keep his commandments. Why? Because in chapter 1, John reminds us that God is good. He's loving. He's faithful. He's forgiving. He's gracious. He's holy. He's just. In light of that reality, John encourages the church, and he encourages us today, to keep God's commandments, to keep his word, summed up in Jesus' command to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and to love our neighbor as ourself. John uses a very uh, um, proactive word. He uses the word to keep, and this, the word to keep expresses the idea of being watchful, of being observant in our obedience. Those who have um, high, teenagers, um, when my daughter first got her license, and she was then allowed to go out at night to be with her friends, I was observant, I was actively watching for my daughter to come home safely, right? I wouldn't go to sleep until she arrived home. Then I could go to sleep when I saw her come into her room and said, I'm here, right? In the same way, we are to be proactive and being watchful and observant in, in obeying God's word. We do this because God loves us and is good to us. A few years ago, I was listening to a news story regarding good companies to work for. One such company is the Container Store, and I believe there's a Container Store in Gaithersburg, or Rockville, one of these places. It is ranked, Container Store is ranked in one of the best places to work for because the owner takes good care of his employees. And as a result of being taken care of by the employer, the employees do a great job for him. In fact, the owner's motto is this, employees first, employees first. Not the customer, but the employees are to be first. And because if the employees, he he believes that if the employees is is happy with their jobs, then the customers will get quality service. So for instance, the employers at the container store are active in helping customers finding the best container for their needs. If you've gone, I hope that has been your experience because that's what they're trying to do. But because, of, but because of the goodness of the boss, right, the, board, the employees are willingly and eagerly following the plan on providing the best buying experience for the customer. See, this is what John is encouraging us. We have the best boss, right, God, who is good and provides for us the best in Jesus Christ. So with this in mind, he says, be diligent to keep God's command." Because you're in a relationship with Christ, because you are greatly loved in Christ, keep his commands. In fact, because you belong to Christ, his commands are written on our hearts. And so we need to be asking ourselves in our journey of faith, are we keeping God's command? And if we have no interest to keep God's command, then we need to ask, am I even a Christian? What has gone on in my life? If we have no regard to God and his ways, we need to ask, am I a Christian? What has gone on? For John in verse 4 in this passage is crystal clear. If we do not care about God and his commands found in Scripture, he says what? We are liars. And the truth is not in us. He says that you may not even be a Christian if obeying God's command is not a desire or a plan for you. Now you may be thinking, boy, Jeff, you're being judgmental. Well, I'm only the messenger. This is what John, and and it's really good news for us, because John, an authorized messenger from God, says that if you claim to know God, who's holy, who's good, and loves you with a radical love, as seen in Jesus and his work, then you will want to keep his commands. You will want to know how to live in a way that is meant for you to live. You will want to please him and show delight in him, because he delights in you, and he's pleased in you because of Christ. See, he tells us to live a certain way because he knows what is best for us. But if we continually refuse to consider and submit to the ways of God found in scriptures, then we must ask ourselves, do I really love God? Am I really one of his children? The good news is that if we are then, by the grace of God, we will grow in our desire to keep God's commandments. And as we keep God's commandments found in scripture, this is one way to assure that we belong to him. In fact, in the beginning of verse 5, John reminds us to keep God's command. By keeping God's command, God's love is perfected in us. You see, love and obedience go hand in hand in our relationship with God. This intimate relationship we have with God has established us in Jesus Christ. will grow our love for him and will grow our obedience in him. You see, because God's love for us completes its work in us and enables us into love and to obey. Jesus said the same thing, right? And in the Gospels, he says, if you love me, Jesus says, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. So part of the moral text is saying, how are we obeying God's commands? But also we see in the latter, latter verse of 5 and 6, we're also to see, how are we living like Jesus? It says this, by this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, to be honest, I'm not really big on Christian stuff like you can buy at Christian bookstores. And many years ago, there was this bracelet, like right? WWJD, what would, what would Jesus do? I always thought when it came out, it should have been J.D what yeah what would jesus what did jesus what did what did jesus do right because what jesus did enables us then to then do what he calls us to do and and so that's in this light right Um, um, what would jesus do when we're faced in life who is this jesus that we say we serve how did he love how did he walk in this life and i think we can learn from that as people who have put their faith in christ so what are some ways that we see that jesus loved throughout the gospels some things we know is this. He forgave those people who hurt him, who betrayed him, who sinned against him. The human Jesus, yes, fully God, but fully man. As a man, he, he built relations with, with people unlike him. He took time for the broken and hurting people he encounters. He spoke words of comfort. He showed mercy and helped people out, even on the Sabbath. He spoke frankly to those who were self-righteous and judgmental. He prayed for the disciples. He prayed for his enemies. He listened and treated people with respect, spoke kindly, acted compassionately. He didn't lie, cheat, or acted arrogantly or prideful. He didn't lust or hate. And he talked to and worshipped God. We hear these things and we look at Jesus like... There's no way I can never live the way that Jesus lived. Well, yeah, we're we're, we're not going to be perfect in this journey, but because Christ abides in us, that's what verse six says, right? We can only walk in Christ, walk as Christ walked, because He abides in us and we abide in Him. If you're if you're a follower of Christ, if you put your faith in Christ, the life of Christ lives in you, and the Spirit of Christ lives in you, so He enables you now to walk like he walked that we can actually forgive people who have hurt us that we can really hang around people who are different than us who may think politically different than us who may look different than us who may have different ethnic groups than us that we actually as as people of god can actually model a beautiful picture of, of what the new heavens and new earth will look like because of this love that we now have in christ i remember when i first became a christian in college I was really clueless on what it meant to be a follower of Christ. So I would go down to the little baker that we had on campus. That's where, actually where my wife and I, where I proposed to my wife many years later. But I would go down, down in the, in the dungeon of this little baker, and I would read scripture, and I would, I would look at how, what, it, what it meant to be a follower of Christ. What, it, what did it mean as, okay, put this faith in Christ, so what does it mean now to, to model him, to reflect him? And and it wasn't about me trying to earn brownie points with God, but I was trying to figure out what does it mean to be a follower of Christ. In many ways, we need to be asking, how are we walking like Jesus? How are we obeying his commands? Because we're able to do that now because we're connected. We have this, God knows us and we know him through faith in Christ. This is truly a reality that we can actually, by God's grace, more and more in our lives reflect and obey. By his grace and his mercy. So, questions asked Do I frequently obey God's command found in scriptures? Where are those areas in my life that I'm struggling with? Where are those areas in my life that I need to be more faithful by God's grace to live? Where do I need to forgive? Where do I need not to hold things against others? Where do I need to enter into a a friendship with someone who's different than me? Where do I need to pray for my enemies? There is also a social test that John gives us as well. Look at verses 7 through 11. It says, "Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard, and at the same time is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away, the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is the light and hates his brother is still in darkness." Whoever loves his brother and abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I love the scriptures, but sometimes they can be confusing to how best to understand. And in this passage, John is saying something that seems to contradict itself. Is the commandment new or is it old? In one sentence, John says it is not new. Then in the next sentence, he says that it is new. Um, the commandment John refers to is Jesus' command to love God and to love others. So how, how is this either new or old? Or well, it's old because it, 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 it dates to the dawn of time, right? Throughout the Old and New Testament, we see the importance of loving God and loving others. Believers had this command from the get-go. Even Jesus intensified that in his own ministry. Brotherly love, family love, was part of our original message. So John did not invent or create a new command, so they have heard it before. But it's new in this way. It's new because it is continually reapplied in new acts of love. It may be new to them since they are new believers, but it's new because Jesus Christ gave it a richer, deeper meaning. It means that we, are now, we can now participate in loving like Jesus. We can now love in the same manner that Jesus loved, with self-sacrifice, even unto death. We can love anyone who needs our compassion and help, irrespective of race, ethnic group, class, age, and privilege. We can here in this church love one another, even though we maybe have different views on what the future should look like, at the church we can love one another even though we might have voted differently in our votes we can love one another because god's love loves within us and we can exercise patience and kindness and an understanding with one another as we grow together as a body of christ so john is saying if we claim to know god then we will find ways to radically love others especially those in the church and John gives us some stark contrast: love, hate, light, darkness. And if I would ask you, if we had this open forum, and I would ask you to give me some words that would correlate to love and words that could correlate to hate, what would you say? What would you say about love where it's unconditional, right? It's selfless, it's sacrificial, it's unmerited, it's loyal, it's kind, it's even undeserved. Yesterday, I married a, a, a couple in Annapolis. And one of the things before I said the vows, I'm saying that, you know, we just read 1 Corinthians 13, this, the love chapter, right? It gives us what love looks like, God's love for us. And I said, you know, in your vows, you're not, you're, you're not, your love for them is not, it's all what you're committing to you. You're not loving them because they do this, do that, or think this way or do that way. You're, you're 100% committed and responsible to loving them regardless of what the other person does in the marriage that's what love is it's unmerited it's 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 unself. it's it's sacrificial but if i say hate other words come to mind right conditional selfish harmful destructive jealous vengeful angry indifferent ignorant see the verb hate may seem too strong but for john the Apostle John, as he's speaking, as a father of the faith, as one who cares deeply for this congregation, he says, failure to show love for others in the Christian community is a very, very serious matter. And that, that why, that's why he adds darkness to hate. To be in the darkness almost certainly signifies the status of someone who is not, does not know God. So if you are consistently hate others, especially those who are Christian, John is saying, then you may need to ask yourself am I a follower of Jesus? And when he includes light to those who love, he assures those who tempt to radically love that God is growing in them, that his light is growing in them and making progress in them. In fact, if you're loving one believer, that will prevent you and the other person from stumbling. It'll prevent that person from leaving the community of faith. In fact, it will help that person to know God better themselves. Or in the opposite, a person who walks in darkness can't see where he's going and most likely will stumble and make others stumble as well. A great example of, a, of someone who is loved well, who helps people towards the light, who helps people not to stumble but to grow in their faith is Corrie Ten Boom. She uh, grew up in Amsterdam. Her and her family helped many Jewish people during World War II to escape the Nazi concentration camps. Eventually, her family was eventually caught and and then themselves were sent to concentration camps. They They were convicted as Christians to care for Jewish people, to protect Jewish people who were being persecuted in horrible, horrific ways. And now they found themselves in the concentration camps themselves. In the book, The Hiding Place, she describes her experience of the hard days of work at the camp. And she says, as Corey and her sister Betsy would hold worship services in their barracks with other women using a Bible, they had managed to sneak into the camp. Corey writes this. At first, Betsy, at first, Betsy and I, that's her sister, I called these meetings together with great timidity, right? What will they do, right? But after night, after night went by and no guard ever came near us, we grew bolder. A single meaning include a recital of the Magnificat in Latin by a group of Roman Catholics. I whispered hymn by some Lutherans and then a chant by Eastern Orthodox women. With each moment, the crowd around us would swell. At last, either Betsy or I would open the Bible because only the hollanders could understand the dutch text we would translate aloud in german and then we would hear the life-giving words of god passed, being passed along in the aisles in french and polish and russia and czech and back into dutch they were little previews of heaven these evenings beneath the light bulb what a way to get as they were struggling together as they were in these oppressive camps they gathered together these women and encouraged one another in their faith showed love to one another and helped them to point one another to to the to the light of the world jesus christ that helped them to stand firm in the midst of difficulty this love that god had given them through christ was able to be shared to one another and it helped them to grow in the light grow in their knowledge in their relationship with god see one ruled by love loves his brother and sister abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him or her or causes them to stumble they see clearly and thus they walk properly but one who's ruled by hate hates his brother and sister abides in darkness is blinded and does not know where he is going or she is going his sin Her sin blinds him or her to the truth, and they walk sinfully. So as we check to see if we know God, the genuineness of our faith is seen not only in our love for God, but our love for one another, especially those within the church. God desires us to love others as Christ loves them. Jesus Himself said, The world will know my love, how we love one another. So as we grow together, as we journey together in this transition, Let us learn to love one another. Let us learn to depend and get to know God, who is the provider of that love, who enables us to love one another in our differences, in our concerns, in our questions. You see, it is the love of Scripture that sees straight, thinks clearly, and makes us balanced in our outlook, in our judgments, in our conduct. Love respects, love honors, Love looks at the needs of others. Love is selfish, it's not selfish, but it's patient. We are actively listening to those who may have different views. See, hate is the exact opposite. Let me end with this story. A few years after Cory Temboon was released from the concentration camps, Cory Temboon had an encounter with a former Nazi officer. Hear her, Listen. Hear her struggle to love because all of us would struggle to love in this way as well but more importantly hear what enabled her and motivated her to love listen in this powerful powerful experience of god's grace it was at a church service in munich that i saw him a former ss man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at ravensburg He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen that time, from that time. And suddenly it was all there the the room of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, and her sister's pain blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fräulein, he said, to think that as you say, He has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man, Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, notice she prays, right? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me. Help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I, I struggled to raise my hand, but I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. So again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I prayed, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. Hear that? I cannot forgive him. Lord, give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most credible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm, through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. So I discovered that it, it, it is not our forgiveness any more than our goodness that the world's healing hinges. Let me read that again. And so I discovered that it was not our own forgiveness any more than our own goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he, Jesus, tells us to love our enemies, he gives, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. Friends, if we're going to love one another, if we're to obey his commands, remember, it is he who provides us to love to do it. It is his grace that is sufficient, that enables us to love one another who may be difficult to love. It is he who provides us all the strength and mercy and grace. He is truly sufficient to help us in our time of need. Friends, because of Christ's work, for you, you are loved, accepted, forgiven, delighted in. He has forgiven you, and because he's forgiven you, he's given you the for, the power of his own forgiving us. Enables us then to forgive and to love and to care for what he cares about. May that be so in my life. May that be so in your life. May that be so corporally for this church. May the community in the world see that we have a love that's like no other because a love that's founded in the person and work of Christ. Let's pray.